DJ, PK, and David Locke. David Locke's weekly interviews brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Why are you not great today, DJ? Well, it's early. I'm going to improve throughout the day. I don't want to peak too early. I I don't mean to be rude, but you're halfway through your shift, so I hope that you're... Improve quickly. This is kind of like so. What you just sure, like, but or like how's it work? But I'm only uh, I'm only uh, I'm only twenty percent of the way through the day. Oh, okay. I mean, I got you. But you know, your coaches are wondering why your first half performance is one for four when they need about twenty four from you. Well, I'm going to hit a homer in the seventh inning. So back off, okay? Okay. Um, and how's my friend PK? Hey, I'm all right. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Eeyore. What's up? Okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's funny that you went basketball. He went baseball, though. I know, that was a weird. See, he weird. said one for four, and he was talking shooting, and you said home run, DJ. So right. you were talking baseball. He was talking basketball. Well, it happens. <laughs> no. Well, the only thing I don't understand is where in baseball anyone gets to go one for four in the first few innings. So that's where he yeah. DJ's fault. <laughs> oh, it's oh. a doubleheader. So, you guys, I've been reading the newspaper all morning. It's all about Fauci's comments yesterday about the NFL needs to be in a bubble. The NFL coming out and saying, we're not going in a bubble. We're having an ecosystem. And it's shared responsibility. And then the translation to college gets really daunting with all the cases that are actually breaking out at all these camps right now. Because the college kids, you can't keep in an ecosystem or a bubble because they need to be part of the college campus or else they're just blatantly mercenaries. So what's your thought? What's we're, we're getting <laughs> awfully close to this. What's going to happen? Well, I mean, the, we we had on Doctor Petron from the U, and and college kids have uh, what, what did he say? Oh, it was like a zero point zero, you know, one in three million chance, whatever yeah. the math works out to, of dying. Yeah, I mean, getting it does not mean it's fatal. I mean, no. so and so got it. Oh no. Okay. Well. But, but, the problem is, but the problem is that they, they end up spreading it, and those people spread it to other people. So right? then the and answer with the college the people that are that, at risk. But yes, yes, and they can spread it to people who in are theory. at risk. In theory, they can spread it to people who don't have health insurance, who will not die from it, but end up with massive medical bills. I mean, there's a few nightmare scenarios you can probably paint. But I think to your point, David, that the answer for the college kids is to get them on campus because they will have less interaction. I've heard coaches talk about, you know, we have kids where there's 7, 10, 12 people, whatever, living in the house, extended families, people couch surfing or whatever, and that is a really easy way to spread it, that you're safer getting them on campus, and they're not going to interact with grandparents on campus. Now, they might interact with older coaches, so I suppose there's that to look out for, but I think as it becomes more prevalent in society, here in Utah, you know, around 500 cases, where we weren't having that a couple months ago. I think we had 495 or something the other day. So, maybe they're safer on campus than they are off it. As opposed to yeah, going to a public gym, you're going to the school's right. gym, which is getting cleaned three times a day or whatever. I mean, it's clear we're moving forward with every league is going to try to play. And so yeah. the next question is going to be, what are we doing with outbreaks? How are we reacting to them? When are they a societal concern? We, you have coaches around that are not 
necessarily yell. I, it's interesting. I, I'm not. I'd have to talk to David. I I like him a ton, and I would call him a good friend. Um, so I need to probably hear the whole interview. But it's it's interesting. I, I, I that's an. Uh, it's a, seems like it's a funky data point to me. Like if those college kids were only interacting with other college kids for their entire time period, which we're talking about, then that data point to me has relevancy. But the fact that they're not, that they're interacting with coaches, coaches are taking it other places, that there's a spread factor to who they're dealing with. And the fact that they may be leaving campus to see other people, um, seems to me that that's not the greatest data point. Especially if you're a Democrat. Well, no, actually it has nothing to do with it. Just have to do with numbers. <laughs> That's what they I've say. Actually, I've actually heard that the people at colleges who are the most nervous are professors, who some of right. them may trend older. Who are yeah. Democrats. <laughs> who are also hey, more Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger is a good Republican for you there, PK. Came good out. Republican? Did you see what he was Hard doing? Mask. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hard mask take. He also La Vista yesterday or on with get, when when. Gavin Newsom came out with a California everyone must wear a mask rule. Yeah, I think it's oh, a different That's your boy thing, Arnold yeah. right there. Arnold? How Arnold. wearing a how, By the way, there is no greater someone who likes data and analytics. There is no greater example of like the power of of propaganda that the mask has become like somehow a political it, like that's the ultimate example of like noise and um bubble bubble information and it's pretty incredible it's pretty pretty unbelievable yeah, everything is political right no it's, it's just a great example like it's something that simple that actually you know like but there you got you got my point i'm not making a value judgment on i understand I got you. Yeah, you're right. I do. The data is very clear. I agree with you. I'm making a larger statement. The fact that this has become an issue is an incredible representation of how much media can be propaganda and how much mind manipulation you can have. Oh, I agree 100%. Because the countries that are wearing masks where they've had uh, outbreaks of different diseases before and where it's normal. Yak was telling us about his two years in Taiwan. Yeah, if somebody like, if somebody in your family gets sick, you wear a mask around town, and it's just normal. And so, Taiwan, Japan, South Korea, New Zealand, Singapore all have better numbers than us. They don't have as right. many people no, sick. I mean, They're able to open their economy. New Zealand had a game with forty three thousand people at the game. Oh, they're fully open, aren't they? Yeah, it's yeah. rugby, yeah. and I don't know anything about rugby, but it just looked cool to be at a game with forty three thousand people. It's funny how some people just get so worked up over this mask stuff. Like they're not um, going to wear it. I mean, they just they get almost yeah. violent. I know. <laughs> you, see the, you see the Aubrey Hub video? I'd rather die than wear a mask. <clears throat> I'd rather wear a mask and open the economy and get back to my as normal as possible life. Right. Well, here's what's really interesting about that. If we want to get into the sociological aspects of it, so the Asian populations. The reason you're wearing a mask, if someone in your family gets sick, and, and, and Jake can jump in here, is a respect for your fellow citizens. Those are collective communities. You, you don't want to lose face individually is a whole huge part of the burden of being Asian in those countries. We're Correct. all stereotyping here, but this is, this is cult, that's what you do in cultural conversations. And so 
you know, you could not show your face, as they say, if you were to get your workplace sick, right? That would be the ultimate. Yeah, that'd be embarrassing. Right, you can't do and in our culture, it's all individual. We have no collective collectiveness in who we are. So the idea that the reason you wear a mask is because you're actually protecting those around you far more than you're protecting yourself is just not in our culture, where it is 100% in their culture. That's what you're doing. Every Everything you're doing all day long in the Asian culture is about respecting those around you, and and that's how, you know, I mean, Jake can probably jump in having lived there, but I obviously have spent a lot of time in Japan recently and, and understand that culture pretty well. But that's, that's the difference here. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's really, it's incredible. I mean, the, the no mask wearing is actually just a lack of respect for your other citizens around you because the mask protects those around you much more than it protects yourself. So the NBA is going into the bubble. The countdown is on. Have you analyzed uh, the numbers without Bogdanovich and how the Jazz are going to do? Um, I have. I mean, it's it's interesting. So you, you know, you're going to go with Joe and Royce and and Mike and Donovan, and so that that's where you're going to still be okay. Um, there, there's, I mean, I can try to build a case that we'll be okay. Um, our lowest pick-and-roll numbers were with Bogdanovich, so those pick-and-roll numbers now, those pick-and-rolls will move to Joe or Mike or Donovan. Um, we've struggled a little bit when we have Joe, Mike, and Donovan on the floor together with all three point guards, and so they're going to have to do something pretty quick in that rotation. Um, we protected Bogdanovich's defense all year long by having him play virtually every single minute with Rudy Gobert. Do you do some quick substitutions with George Niang to try to create the same environment? Um, obviously shooting is our strength, uh, with, you know, the best three point shooting team in the league, the best catch and shoot shooting team in the league, the best offensive team in the league since December 24th, Bogdanovich was a massive, massive part of that. And so therefore you're going to, you know, trying to, you're going to have to be that good because we have not proven to be good enough to, to win defensively. Like we did in years past, we have, we're on the verge of trying to improve that when all this broke out. Um, so, I mean, I think it's going to be awfully hard um, to handle that. Um, maybe the interesting one is if you are if you end up matched up with Oklahoma City, um, they don't really have the four-man that, unless they're playing Gallinari at the four, that could cause Niang a lot of problems if they're playing, you know, Basie or Dort or one of those guys there and playing Gallinari at the three. Um so then, then it's not as big an issue when they go to their three-point guard mold. You're going to have a hard time because playing them a little bit. But um, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I don't have a good answer for you, DJ. I mean, I've tried to find some things that are positives, and you know, at that point, you're kind of picking at Bogdanovich's weaknesses, which feels like it's kind of uncouth and and not very fair to a guy who's had an amazing year. How much different is it in this situation with the injury to Bogdanovich? Because Obviously, they've known about it for weeks. They will go in when they resume practice, and then the whatever they do in Orlando, whether it's some type form of scrimmaging or what have you. So my point is, this isn't happening during the season where everything is on the fly, man. It's just go, 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 as opposed to where they've had time to understand it, and then they'll have some practice time as they go forward. 
can that mitigate it to a degree? I like the logic behind what you're saying. I think you're accurate. Um, same thing with the Spurs without Aldridge. And frankly, all the numbers show the Spurs will be way better without Aldridge. And now if they have time to prepare without it, I think they'll, they'll even be even better. Um, so, yes, I think you're right, and in, in you've got your plan on it. Uh, it's not clear to me how much practice time these groups are really going to have. You know, that was the actually – uh, other than the buzzers that when you get within five feet of each other or six feet of each other for five seconds to go off, and I have this like great visual of everybody getting electric shocks, like running around the bubble, which is not what it is, but it's just kind of a see this like cartoon um, taking place. But the other one was just that individual workouts. I, I, it wasn't clear to me that there was a lot of practice time in Salt Lake City as a group prior to leaving in early July to go to the bubble the way I read that. And then you go to the bubble and sit for 36 hours. And then I guess you can start practicing there. And so then you do get about two weeks of practice in Orlando. And I guess not a lot else, but I'm not clear on how many five on five, you know, full practices you're going to be able to get to implement things. I do know I was talking to Quinn this week and, um, you know, his brain is going like he had this wild idea for this and this other idea for this. And like his basketball brain is going, he's working a tremendously large amount on the diversity coaching diversity committee. He's on with Lloyd Pearson and that, that they're working on. And he's been doing a huge amount of things internally with the jazz, um, to, you know, for raise awareness and let people have their voice and talk about all these issues. So those, that has probably taken more of his time recently. Um, but his, his basketball brain is going. And I do think to your point, PK also having three months off with basketball geniuses could end up with some interesting ideas and attempts. And, you know, there, I think there's a little bit of a feeling around the league talking to some other people of, Hey, well, we got eight games in the playoffs. Might as well try stuff. Like let's, let's try stuff. Let's see what might happen or what might go wrong or, or see what happens. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So do you think this uh, – I know there's a lot of Jazz fans worried the Jazz are going to play the Rockets and they have problems with the Rockets and all that. The Rockets were going really poorly going into this. Do you think the Rockets were going really poorly into this and this time off will fix them because Harden will – Rest. He'll be healthier. He gets. He's. You know. The the storyline, whether it's true or not, has been that he gets worn down late in the year because he carries such a load all year long. So this could be really different, and they could be great. Or there's just something fundamentally wrong with the Rockets, and the league is caught up with their ultimate small ball, and they're really not going to be a factor. You buy either one of those storylines. So I think you. Um, I think this one's going to just kind of almost go to where you were before it all went down. So I was a believer in the Rockets roster as they composed it after trading Clint Capella. And and I phrase that specifically like it's not that I'm a universal believer in small ball. I was a universal believer that with a non-shooter in Russell Westbrook, you can't have another non-shooter in Clint Capella on the floor and allow James Harden and Russell Westbrook to be successful. And so that the only way you may be able to get the most out of Russell Westbrook is to open up the floor in the way they have and play without a big man and have Robert Covington play your center or P.J. Tucker because they spread the floor and let him drive. Otherwise, he's running into traffic and playing a mid-range, ineffective mid-range game and a poor three-point shooting game. So I'm a believer in what the Rockets did with their moves, and I'm a believer in the way the Rockets were playing, which of how they were playing. And they were terrible before the break, which, since I believe it, I either have to decide that I was wrong, which really I have no interest in doing, 
right? <laughs> um, or two, I have to decide that they were tired and that this break will refresh them and allow them to come back and show all the reasons why I believed in it. So since Henry, Henry Winkler, Patrick Kinahan, and David Locke never like to admit they're ever wrong, um, I'm going to go with that they well, were fresh to. and potent. <laughs> Henry Winkler? <laughs> where'd, you, where'd you pull that one? <clears throat> the Wayback Machine. That's where I pulled that one from. Remember, like, the, come on, don't pretend like you're 30. You're 50. Like, I know oh, no. you watch Happy Days. I, I got it, but what, 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 that, that's not the point. What made you think of Henry Winkler? I know who Henry Winkler is. Well, what made Henry, you think of him? Didn't in Happy Days, whenever he had to say he was wrong, he'd be like, I, I, I was rude, rude, rude. Okay, I was okay, rude, okay, rude, okay, rude. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Come on, dude! I knew my audience. Like, I mean, okay, it didn't. It didn't hit me at first. <laughs> I'm wondering, and like, you know, you really killed it because there's some like 26 year old out there listening who probably thinks Henry, who heard Henry Winkler and was like, I don't know, like probably had some insecurity complex, like, thinking I was talking about some great philosopher or sociologist. <laughs> it sounds like the name Henry Winkler. Like, well, really, the Fonz maybe they really would have a better idea. Referencing old great, you know, thinkers of. Of, of modern era, and he was like driving around thinking, "Wow, Locke's really smart." Now we have to reveal it's like a stupid sitcom that aired before, in between Mork and Mindy and Laverne and Shirley. Okay, I did not know that. But uh, going forward, man, how much do you think a premium is going to put on shooting at the expense of other aspects of the game? So I was uh, talking to Matthew Delvadova because I actually ended up on a panel with him, and his viewpoint was that um, people won't be able to shoot, that that's going to be the item, that the atmosphere is different and having just not played and as much as you're trying to get back in shape and just nothing being normal, that the item that will slip away will be shooting, Um, which he and and I extrapolated out to that the two then most important things will be early shot clock shots that are that are easy baskets, that they'll be more valuable than ever, and shots at the rim, so thus protecting the rim. Um, for that reason, he was pretty positive about Milwaukee. He was like, he thought Milwaukee's model, which is defensively, they protect the rim. Um, they don't allow, and they're allowing less than 30% of shots at the rim, which is a historical rate. And then they allow a huge amount of above the break threes, which is, you know, maybe by the finals, people will be right back in shape, but. Um, he, you know, he thought that's a pretty good model. Um, okay, and then so that's the that's for this Giannis year. Getting to the rim. That's for this but, year. I think PK wanted to know over the next three to five years, David. Oh. So give me the question. I, sorry, I was just thinking about the, the is bubble. shooting are in the, in the coming drafts and free agencies. Are people going to prioritize shooting and say you can't defend, you don't pass that well, you don't block shots, but man, you can shoot it. Um, so I think there are two things in the league that are undervalued right now. One is high volume three point shooters are still undervalued. So Davis Bertans, Duncan Robinson. And then the other is big men that can dunk is undervalued. Um, so if you have those two, prote- yeah, if you have those two rim. skill sets, they'll forgive everything else then. Um, th- so I think those two are still super important. Like if I'm scouting and I'm looking at first, like, you know, not just the top 10 best players, and I'm looking for a, trying to find a player. Like, honestly, I think the Kyle Corver, Davis Bertans, Duncan Robinson, they don't have to be white. Those three just happen to be six foot eight, 
shooters that have, because of their height, happen to be happen to be able to get there are able to get off a high volume of three-point shots because they're tall enough that they always have a shooting window. So Duncan Robinson's incredible this year. I mean, his value is through the roof. People just haven't quite grasped it yet. But what's really incredible about him is that he can take 13 threes a game. When you know coming in, that's all he's going to do. He takes 13 of 13 shots as threes. That's an incredible value. Davis Bertans in Washington was similar this year. All right, David, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes, and uh, we will talk to you again next week. All right, Penny Marshall reference is coming next week. <laughs> okay, we'll look forward she to that. She was into basketball. She was. Big Laker fan. Thank you, David. See ya. Uh, PK, just one thing I would tack on to the end of that. You know, if you've got a second-round draft pick, this goes back to what one of our guests said this week and why uh, some people are high on Yoli Childs. To David's point, do you have some height so you have a shooting window? He's... Yoli's 6'8", mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. he shot 48.9% from three. Now it's a college three. He's got to step back and shoot the NBA three, but that's worth the second-round pick. Put him at the end of your roster, make him a two-way player, see if he can do that. And if you wonder, well, he was kind of a bigger guy in college. Can he guard perimeter people in the pros? Who cares if he can hit the three? So what? <laughs> Who cares if he can hit the three? Well, especially because yeah, yeah. as a second-round oh, pick, you don't need him to be a star. You just need a guy in your roster. You know, you're not asking to be Donovan Mitchell. You're asking to be Niang, be a rotation guy. Come in and give me some minutes. Yeah, that's why I asked the question. Hit some shots, right? All right, DJ and PK. Sam Merrill, too. We might as well go there, too. DJ and PK, although he doesn't have quite the height. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Jay Hills coming up next. Stay with us. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban says if his players take a knee during the national anthem, he hopes to join them. NBA has a rule stating players and coaches must stamp the anthem. Cuban says he hopes the league can adapt and allow players to do what is in their heart. Troy Weaver is the new general manager of the Detroit Pistons. He comes from Oklahoma City. Weaver had been in the Jazz organization before moving on to the Thunder for 12 years. Milwaukee Bucks guard Sterling Brown was shocked with a taser gun by Milwaukee police in 2018 after being cited for a parking violation. Sees the NBA's restart in Orlando as an opportunity to campaign for issues of social justice and racial equality. This is your back-to-basketball update, presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. John Hartwell, the athletic director at Utah State. Your confidence level right now is pretty good that uh, the season will start on time against the opponents that you've scheduled. Yeah, I know uh, we've been in communication with Tom Homo at BYU and with Utah kind of looking at, hey, what does attendance look like? And obviously some directives from the governor's office that said outside venues, you know, 6,000, inside venues, 3,000, and hopefully those numbers will grow between now and the beginning of the season. And we're trying to see, you know, with our capacity 25-5, seeing just how many people we can safely assemble inside Maverick Stadium. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. We are joined now by Jay Hill, Weber State football coach. Weber State with a big golf tournament about ready to get underway here at the Ogden Country Club. Jay, good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. 2020 has been different for everybody, but as a college football coach trying to plan for an upcoming season with all the curveballs you're getting, what has been the single biggest challenge slash headache for you? Just that. Things are always changing. Uh, about time you set your calendar, it changes, and you get a rule that comes out, and you have to adjust. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we've had to adjust things over the last four months. It's been crazy from canceling spring ball to our, our recruiting schedules getting all out of whack. Anyway, it's been it's been one curveball after another, like you said. We always hear that it's harder to stay on top than it is to build. And you can speak to that as well as anybody because you've built and now you've won a couple of big skies and you advanced in the playoffs. So what would you say to that question as far as expectations now are through the roof as far as keeping that where it is and even maybe getting a step or two better as opposed to when you had to go through and build it? Well, I'd much rather be where we're at right now than when we were first building because that was no fun. Um, and I don't know if I always agree with that. Uh, when you have better players and now you're attracting better coaches because they're seeing others move on, uh, I think it's uh, easier to be good now than it was when we first got here and you're trying to sell people on a team that went 2-10 and ten for three straight years. So you're not selling anymore really in that way. Yeah, people know who we are more, and uh, they've heard of success, success, not just here in the state of Utah, but in surrounding states. And so in recruiting, it's easier. And, you know, just bottom line, it's easier with the players because there's an expectation now where they want to go out on the field and not just not just win a couple games, but to compete for championships. So I'm intrigued. I mean, on the one hand, you're at the top because you got three straight, at least a share of the conference title, quarterfinals, and now semifinal in the playoffs. But on the other hand, just by the nature of the level you're at, there's a level of college football above you. Coaches make more money. Uh, people play on TV more. But are there kids who, that you can get, you know, kids who maybe would end up in the bottom half of the Mountain West, a school that's in the bottom half of the Mountain West, can you get those kids? Because you're not, it's not Alabama where you're literally at the top of college football getting, you know, the five-star kids. Well, we can. You know, a good example, Josh Davis, he had four or five FBS offers and ended up coming to Weber State and was the national freshman of the year. And Taron Johnson was a kid out of California a couple of years ago that when we took him, he had some of those lower-level Mountain West schools, and we get him, and he ends up being a fourth-round draft pick. And so we are getting some of those guys, and I think it's all relative to what those guys want and what they're looking for. And some guys just want to play in the FBS, and if that's the case, then we don't get those guys. But the ones that are looking for a good fit and want an opportunity to get a great education and to maybe have a chance to play on in the NFL, we get those guys still. When you say of what they're looking for, is it? can I say it's universal, it's to win and play? No, it's not universal for that. Uh, it should be, in my opinion. I think they should be looking for education first, uh, playing at a high level of football second. And some guys just say, you know what, unless I'm in the Pac-12, I can't be happy. Well, I, I, mean, I can't offer that to those guys. <laughs> I just can't. And But those guys won't be happy unless that's what they have. And so they, that's what they need to do. Can you offer them a car? 
I, I wish. <laughs> that would make it easier. <laughs> as long as nobody else could offer that car. <laughs> yeah, well, when that rule changes, everybody will have a car dealer offering a car. So that'll end up just being a wash anyway. Well, it'll be crazy with this new uh, name, likeness, and image thing. When that get, kicks off, I don't I, how that affects recruiting will be crazy. So uh, when you talk to these kids, you know, people have in their mind, the media does it to a degree, and I think fans do it. Well, if you're at Weber State, you know, you're in the big sky, you're a step slower, you're a little smaller, and maybe there's some truth to it, but you're putting guys in the NFL, which kind of blows that out of the water. You know, if you're good enough to go to the NFL, that's a really high level. Are you getting guys who are late bloomers? Is it become really the mental, technical side of the game, and you coach guys up, and that's why they make it? How does that happen? Because those two things, you know, there's supposed to be this huge gap from the SEC to the big sky, but you're getting guys drafted. Well, I think we've had six guys in the last four years uh, make NFL rosters or get opportunities and so we're finding them, and how you get them, everyone is different. Uh, it might be a guy like uh, we had an old lineman out of Stansbury a couple of years ago in high school. He's 240 pounds when he left us. He was 310 pounds when the strongest guy in the country. You know, he he when he went to the combine had more bench reps than anybody, and. He was a late bloomer a little bit. He was a development guy. Uh, sometimes people just flat miss. And recruiting nowadays, it's so accelerated that we're offering sophomores. And then they're passing on all the guys that end up blooming their senior years, and then they're full. And we've kind of benefited from that a little bit and getting some of those late bloomers that just end up being great players. And then, quite frankly, I think we do a better job than a lot of schools in developing our guys when they get here. We've had two or three of the strongest guys in the combine in the last couple of years just out of Weber State. So, As far as in-state recruiting goes, I'm wondering, has it increased in difficulty? You've got Dixie now moving up, and I believe they're on their ske- you guys got them on the schedule this year. Yep. And so now you've got, being, you've got so many schools that are playing football. I mean, you compare it to a state like Arizona, which has triple the amount of population, but they don't have near as many schools. So how has recruiting in-state been as far as maybe degree of difficulty well there's more and more schools recruiting in the state of utah from out of the state so that's made it a little bit harder what made it really hard is when coach anderson went back up to utah state because he does such a phenomenal job in recruiting Uh, we obviously we don't battle with the university of utah in recruiting we don't battle with byu and like i say now that gary's up at utah state that's made it harder for us because those were a lot of the kids that we were getting um but we, we don't really battle the other guys that much. It, it was a thing. Utah would take theirs and BYU would take theirs, and then we were getting the big majority of the next tier guys, and that's how we've kind of built this thing. Um, and those guys are still there, and we're going to continue to take those guys. We've had to be a little creative the last year or two and just find another couple guys out of the state, but the, the state of Utah will continue to be our base for sure. So how much does it matter that not only all the Pac-12 schools come in here, but a lot of Mountain West schools do. You can check a Nevada roster, Wyoming, Air Force, Boise State, and see Utah kids. Is it, it doesn't seem like any of them take a lot, but the fact if everybody takes one guy, that adds up? It does, and uh, that's kind of what I'm talking about. There's been a lot of schools in here the last couple of years, in the, and that's a tribute to the high school coaching. Uh, it, it continues to get better and better, and the way we're producing athletes in the state's just gone up. So we're going to continue to battle that, but the number of players, in my opinion, is going to continue to go up as well. We're just, you know, we're going to we're we're going to still have our tier player that will come here and be successful. 
uh, we just got to do a great job of evaluating who those guys are. What's your thought as far as the grad transfer? Because, again, we've seen a player, I think, out of Eastern. Where did he go? Is he going to Washington? Uh, Eastern Washington, I think he's going to Washington. So we're seeing guys go up. I don't know that's in the big sky if we're seeing players come down as the grad transfer. So what do you think of this rule? Well, I'll be honest. I don't think it's affected college football the way people thought it would. I mean, there's a guy or two here that you may lose or you might pick up, but I don't think it's affected it the way most people think. It's not really affected us much. Um, We lost our quarterback, but that's just something you deal with. I mean, you could lose him to injury or something else. Um, you, you just never know how it's really going to affect you. So if it happens to you and you lose a guy, you just reload with the next one. Um, whether you like it or not, it's here to stay. And, and I don't know. I, I don't know the best way to answer that question, really. Jay Hill joining us, Weber State football coach. Uh, you guys have climbed through the ranks here uh, in the championship subdivision. But, you know, there's a couple dynasties here now. The, the next couple of hurdles seem really significant. James Madison's been very good. North Dakota State. What what separates those guys from the next tier? What separates one and two from three, four, five, six? Well, quite a bit right now. It's, it's budget with both those schools, uh, cost of attendance. Some things that they offer that maybe some of the other schools don't is something that we're all chasing right now. Uh, James Madison is in a part of the country where they do benefit from a lot of those grad transfers or a lot of those guys that just say, you know what, my last year or two, I want to play. And so they'll drop down from a Virginia or a Clemson or something like that. And James Madison's the best school out there. And so they get them. And it's a beautiful location and they've got great facilities. So, so they've benefited from that. And then North Dakota State, obviously, uh, they just they just they're rolling right now with their success and those are the two schools we're chasing right now I would say over the last four years we're probably the next best team us in South Dakota State and um, I think you can throw us right up there but that's definitely who we're chasing and uh, what we want to accomplish is we need to knock those guys off if we can if we're going to accomplish the goals that we really want yeah so you've been uh last couple years you've been uh giving me stuff to do on that second friday in december yeah, right <laughs> can you extend it we can there's no <laughs> doubt and you know last year we faced a really really talented james madison team and we came out of the gate slow and we got down 17 nothing and you're playing a great team like that you can't do it the rest of the game we played right with them uh maine the year before was the game that quite frankly we should have won should have won that we should (laughs) have and and the reality is we did not play good at the wrong time and it that one cost us but that was kind of our path that we should have taken advantage to the championship game and then once you get to that game who knows what can happen we were talented enough that year on both sides of the ball that if our quarterback played good in a championship game who knows what could have happened but uh we're still fighting that and we're right there with them it's not like that we got some unsurmountable hurdle that we can't get over this is something we're right there nipping at their toes and they know it and we just got to find a way to get a little better jay hill weber state football coach joining us so whenever you win there's all kinds of rumors right because other people see you winning and their programs are losing and there's bigger schools with bigger paydays how much is that tempting and how much like you know this program you know the people you've had success you get to enjoy and there's still a significant challenge to accomplish so all the other stuff doesn't really matter except when i ask you about it 
Well, I think it's both. I mean, if we're realistic, can people turn down millions and millions of dollars that are occurring in this profession? It gets hard if it's the right job. And someday, maybe that will happen. No one knows. But until that does, we are extremely happy here. We've got tons of hurdles to overcome or to, to jump over. And we love it in Ogden. We love where we're at. Uh, and I don't know how to answer that other than if, if the right one comes along someday and everyone says, you know what, I can see why he'd have to do that, then I think people would get it. But till that happens, we're going to just keep winning here. <laughs> We look at so much out there that money is being spent on all sorts of stuff in college football and you know, all the bells and whistles with these facilities that are going on and every, everything is just first class. How is Weber fitting in and what areas do they look to get better at as far as that goes? Well, our whole thing is we're trying to improve the student-athlete experience. So us building that new facility and, and putting a locker room that was a legit Division One locker room in and adding a new weight room that we needed so desperately and some meeting spaces where we can actually teach the players, that was huge for us. Uh, you know, being able to improve nutrition and be able to give back to the player what I think that they desperately need, those things are huge. A lot of the bells and whistles you mentioned I think are unnecessary. Yeah. And quite frankly, I think we spend money that maybe we don't need to sometimes at other levels. Now, us, we, we don't do that. We just don't have the budgets and the ability to do that. But there there's some that, quite frankly, I think spend where they don't necessarily need to all the time. Yeah, we see that. How has recruiting worked for you these last couple of months? There have been a lot of Zoom conferences, less face-to-face time, but you can still do film because everybody's film is on the web. You're seeing all that. How different does it feel in the process right now? Well, as far as our evaluation process, I don't think it changed that much other than you never got to see the guy in person. But if, if you trust the coaches on, on their size and w- the height and weights and stuff like that, or you have a way of getting that uh, through a picture or a video or something, that's changed that aspect a little bit but as far as watching their film not at all it hasn't changed at all uh we since we've been in this dead period we've actually signed or signed three really good players in my opinion and we found them different ways the dilemma was we had to do our little tour of campus through video Mm -hmm. and so we'd have coaches stationed at other spots on the campus and we'd flip back in a zoom call and he'd show them this building and we'd show them another building that's weird where you're having to show your campus and what you can offer to these kids via zoom uh that's not ideal by any means but uh we've we've been able to find a way to overcome it and that's just what we're dealing with right now do you think going forward since this has been it's not the normal way of life but it's the way of life now do you think going forward there are some things you talk about expenditures and spending almost to the point of needlessly that there can be some things that can actually be the norm going forward when everything gets back to normal and maybe save some money? Uh, I think that's an aw- awesome uh, view of what's occurring, and I absolutely think so, that uh, we can overcome a lot of stuff, and we've, we've shown that, that we can overcome some things. We might be able to save budgets in, in certain areas. Um, 
by just being creative like we've had to the last couple months. So you're not the first coach I've heard talk about the Zoom tours, and it's hilarious because basketball staffs are smaller, so they actually have guys running around campus. Football, you can at least put, you know, you got more people to put one in every spot. But I've also heard in real estate how popular drone tours are becoming. Have you done that kind of stuff, or is that in the offing? So we we have drone videos that show campus that we can share out to people. But um, we haven't really taken advantage of that too much, like during the Zoom. And uh, maybe I got to be more tech savvy. That's something I can look into for the next thing is finding a way to zoom a drone into the the call. (laughs) That would be pretty cool. What somebody was saying was that it really lets the kid feel like they're walking through the building and showing the relationship from each one of them. It's like a walking tour of campus. It's a level of technology I hadn't thought of at all. Well, I think that's an awesome idea. I haven't, we haven't thought of that. That that takes what we've done to the next level, and maybe that's the next thing we look at. So, see, I got something out of this call, <laughs> other than just hanging out with you guys. A lot of stuff going on in the world, obviously, socially. Uh, have you had any interactions with your players as far as discussions and what maybe is on their minds and what you would want them to do as far as expressing themselves and all that? You know what? I'm, I'm glad you asked that because in – today's world that's such a hot topic and something that's so dear and important to me right now we had on wednesday after every one of the lifts we would take the lifting groups and we we went up into our auditorium and spaced them out 10 feet and we just said you know what here's your opportunity vent tell us about what's going on socially tell us about what you really feel we let some of our african-american players uh tell our white white players what they really go through you know when you walk into a store and you got someone following you around because you think they're going to steal something or they get pulled over and they get pulled out of their car for speeding that's something that i've never experienced as a white male and to listen to those stories and to to watch five or six groups go through that and to see the white players uh get a little better sense of what we're fighting right now I thought was extremely powerful, and uh, it was it was huge for me to just listen to them, let them vent a little bit as to why we're fighting for what we're fighting for, and um, that was huge for our team, our players. I wanted this to be something that could bring us closer together rather than tear us apart, because this will tear some teams apart. So I think that it's, and I don't know this because I didn't play college sports, but the amount of time these guys spend together and how hard they work together from, you know, being criticized in a group, you know, individually being called out in a film room to literally how hard it is to lift weights and how exhausted you are to hear those stories or read them in a paper or on the web or to see them on TV from someone you don't know is one thing. But to hear them from someone you feel like, you know, does it make it like 10 times more powerful? 10 times more powerful. I mean, I, I got... I got African-American players tearing up as they're telling their story, and I got white guys listening to it tearing up because of what they've been through together. And I think a football team across the country is one of the best examples as to what we can become, where you take kids from the Polynesian Islands and from wherever they come from that are African-American and white players that we have. And bottom line, you're just mixing these groups, and they get along, and they love each other, and they get it. And they look past some of the stuff, the pre, uh, the 
the just the the judgments that occur socially in today's world we look past that and we see the real person and i think that that's what the world needs to get to is we got to get past looking at skin color and look at what's in the the person's heart and how hard they work and their dedication and that's what happens on a football team is we see those other things that are so important to see in people yeah i've always felt that i don't think we'll ever eliminate the form of racism completely but i always thought to mitigate it and to lessen it bring it down to an individual level and i'm bob and you're joe i'm not this you're not that i'm bob and you're joe and i get to know joe and if i get to know him it's probably a good chance i'm going to like him and then if he happens to be a person of another race then that's going to resonate with me well I'm not going to stereotype because Bob isn't like that. So that's the way I think to combat it. And you use that example in a football team. Well, and that that's a perfect example of what we're talking about is these guys actually get to know each other and get to love each other and fight with each other. And that's where they grow to the, the, the trust grows. And those friendships will last forever. Uh, and that's what we're fighting in society is give people a chance to show you who they really are rather than having this, uh, preconceived notion and what society taught us just give people a chance and and I think you'll find that some of your best friends will come from the other races so it's one thing to vent and you need that and it's another thing to share these stories and you need that but taking action is another level I think a lot of times college athletes aren't aware of the power they have they've always been yeah. them they were just a guy and they don't or high profile female athlete too they're just they were just a kid in high school you know, but in college, you've got a chance. But when you come from, especially you come from outside the area, you don't know how to um, have an impact because you're not connected. And one of the most powerful stories I heard, Damian Lillard and the stuff he did was in school was unbelievable. And a lot of people school didn't even know he was doing it. The Weber State community kind of stumbled onto it, I think. So whether it's Boys and Girls Club, Youth Impact Program is, I think, a group that's had a lot of success. Are you getting guys involved? Like, we have to take all this, but we have to go make somebody else's life better. We have to do something? We do. And, you know, I'll be the first one to admit, I've not posted a lot of stuff on social media. One, I'm not a big poster, but I got so tired of the negativity and the fighting back and forth that I just kind of got off that stuff. And we, as a football team and and a coaching staff, we just said, you know what, we're going to try to fix it at a different level. And we've, we've talked to some of the police departments, and we've talked to... Uh, one of the state senators in the state of Utah, and we've talked to some lawyers about what do we need to do to make some real change. And it's going to be our players getting out in the community and showing that, you know what, we can show the world that we do get along and that we love each other and we can serve each other and go do some community service. Those things are extremely important as far as changing the image on what we want to be in America and being socially acceptive to all races and all walks of life, all religions, whatever it is. We just need to be more accepting, give people a chance and and to really go out there and let our story be heard. And that's what we're trying to do. So we're here at Ogden Country Club for this Weber State event. Are you a golfer? Absolutely. I love it. I don't know how good I am, but I love to play. So, <laughs> Whittingham thinks he's all that. Can you handle him? <laughs> oh, you know, that I, was I, so carefully calculated. You are such a recruiter. You are such a good recruiter. Well, that was awesome. You know what I'll say? When I was there at Utah, he hardly played. We couldn't right. get him to play, right. and now he's playing a lot, and he has got so much better. He's He's got a short game that's crazy. I wish I had it. So 
has he given up on tennis? Because that yes. was why he didn't play golf, as he was playing so much tennis. I don't think so. I still think he's a great tennis player, but I don't know. We just he gets so busy, and I get so busy. We talk. We still talk regularly, but. I, it's more about family and how things are going that way. I, I don't know how much tennis he's playing. Yeah, I think of the knees and that type of thing. It's uh, As you get older, golf becomes more uh, palatable for your body. I still like to see him try to muscle the ball and, and then not have it work and have him get frustrated. <laughs> well, we all do, right? We're competitive. and uh, Us coaches, we like golf. I, I saw Fessy Sataki walking around yeah, here him, and, yeah. and Colton Swan from Utah staff walking around here today. So it's fun to have these guys back up here. And us coaches are competitive with golf. I don't know how good of golfers we are, but Those it's fun to get out and play. Fessy and Colton, former uh, staff members on your staff, yep. assistant well, that, coaches. That was what you were talking about, though. Guys come through, and they get a chance at Weber State, and then they get a chance to move on. And that's a game changer for an assistant coach moving from a big sky school to a it is Utah. And those two are phenomenal examples of what we're talking about because they, they are coaches that could coach at the highest level. And they are phenomenal, and I think those guys are some of the best coaches on those staffs they're at. And uh, I wish I still had them because they're outstanding. Well, Jay, thanks for a few minutes. You guys are awesome. Hope Appreciate you, you guys being here. Hope we didn't get you in too much trouble with Kyle. <laughs> That'll get back to him if it hasn't Wait, already. Didn't I, I didn't even answer. say anything. Yeah, didn't know, say we, anything. We, we la- saw it. We laughed too hard. But the listeners, he didn't say Kyle anything. Kyle is going to take that, and he's going to convict you, Jay. Convicted. Hey, uh, he, I, he and I got another golf outing soon, and hopefully a lot of them because I love playing with him. So Thanks, Jay. See you guys. Jay Hill, Weber State football coach. Getting ready for another deep run. (laughs) He just said we busted him. Uh, Getting ready for another deep run in the uh, football championship subdivision playoffs. A couple of quarterfinals and a semifinal. Two of the three losses to James Madison. Kick the door in, as Bum Phillips used to say back in the day. Yeah, they've been all over it. They've been a little Phil Mickelson. Now they've got to drop the putt. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The question of the day. Father's Day on Sunday. Question of the day, why is your dad awesome? Tweet at us at David DJ James. We'll read him on the air. We'll give your dad a shout-out. John just tweeted at us, PK, because he works his ass off and would literally <laughs> do anything for his kids and grandkids. Awesome. You got to love that. All yeah. in, right? Yep. All in. All right, hit us up with your uh, with your stories. We've got some good ones to share with you, and we will do that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.